We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All systems are good. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Van Vliet! Oh man, so much energy with that new intro music. And of course, you can't go wrong with the incomparable Justin Roberts. Welcome back to another audio adventure on Insight. Thank you so much for being with us. By the way, just random thought here. Can you believe summer is going to be over in a month? How did that happen? And there's only four and a half months left in 2021. This is insane. It's just flying by. But with that said, let's make the most of the remaining months in this year. You can find my guest today, Arya Davari, on Instagram and Twitter. It's simple. It's just his name, at Arya Davari. And mine is also just my name, at Chris Van Vliet. And if you haven't done so already, please make sure to give Insight a follow or a subscribe wherever you happen to be listening to this right now. Thank you to Novelty Act for leaving this review on Apple Podcasts. It says, love listening to the podcast. Never fails to intrigue and give perspective. Beyond that, the show manages to always leave me with a feeling of motivation. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you so much for that. And hopefully this conversation here inspires you. And if you haven't left a review yet on Apple Podcasts, and that's your listening platform of choice, please take a few seconds today to just leave a few words, a few emojis, whatever it happens to be. That really helps the show climb its way up the charts. Okay. We cover a lot in this conversation, and I want to make these intros shorter so we can get right into it. So let's do that here. Please welcome Aria Devari. Good to see you, man. Thanks for coming on. Of course. Thank you for having me. Big fan of the show. My goodness. Big fan of you. So this is great. Thank you. What is this photo that you have behind you? That is a it's a rob schamberger uh, i hope i said that right uh painting of his so quick story i bought this house a few years ago my first home and i wanted to put something wrestling in my house but not too much like i'm past the days of having all my shit all up on the walls yeah 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 so i was trying to think of what something i would want and i thought man rob does really cool paintings and i thought of one picture in particular and that was uh it's from stone cold steve austin's last let's match. see all we see right now yeah. are knee braces yeah so oh can... yes it's a uh it's a very famous picture that popped in my head like i thought i was like you know stone cold's my favorite wrestler so i was like i'll do something of him and i thought about the sharpshooter where he's bleeding but i'm like everybody kind of that's a 
played out picture in my head. Also, so like, if somebody comes into your house and doesn't know about wrestling, they're like, why is this bloody man? On <laughs> yeah, him? right. Yeah. Uh, so I just thought about that picture and I was like, man, him walking to the ring is really cool. It's his last match. And I asked Rob, I was like, hey, can you paint this for me and just let me know, you know, whatever it costs. Yeah. And he just gave it to me for free. He said, consider it a housewarming present. And we shared the video of it. I posted a picture and so many fans were like, oh, that's so awesome. That's so awesome that he made like prints of it to sell for other people. So I have the original painting and everybody else has all the prints. Well, then shout out to Rob for just being yeah. a great guy. And look at that. You know, he gifted you something and it came around and it worked out for everybody. Yeah, yeah, totally. I was, I was very... I couldn't believe he was giving it to me for free. I was ready to pay for it and everything. And he's like, nah, don't worry about it. So I thought that was super cool. What match is that that he's walking to the ring for? It's his last match, the WrestleMania 19 uh, against The Rock. So it's like Wrestle, uh, WrestleMania 19 at, uh, in Seattle. And uh, they did this cool shot where uh, they were behind him the whole time. The cameraman, I believe it was Stu, the same guy who does the entrance now. And he the just- The John Cena guy. He's always- Yeah, shot. yeah. And- uh, Stone Cold was making his way to the ring and the guy was following behind him the whole time. So it was just this really long shot of his back walking to the ring. And I never noticed this till someone told me, but CM Punk did that same entrance at whatever WrestleMania he worked Jericho. But he did the same thing where he's walking to the ring and it's on his back and it says best in the world. So I think he did that as like an homage to Stone Cold, which I thought was really cool. But it's a really cool shot when a guy has a long way to walk to the ring and the cameraman's like following behind him. I think I speak for everyone when I say as soon as this interview is done, I'm going to go watch that entrance now. Yeah, right. It's, it's badass, dude. It's, I think it's super cool. Yeah, that, man. And what a great image, too. And that, I guess that's also something that must inspire you when you look at that. Yeah, totally. I mean, like I said, he's my favorite wrestler of all time, you know? So when I always think of, like, his intensity in the ring and stuff like that, it's cool to look up at that picture and be like, yeah, he's, he's badass dude, you know? You were pretty young, though, when Stone Cold was, like, in his Attitude Era prime. Oh, yeah. I was eight, nine years old. You know, uh, that was yeah. 2003, so I was uh, in eighth grade at that point. But, like, I lucked out that right when I started watching wrestling, which was, like, early spring of 98, that's when, like, shit was really taken off. You know, yeah. uh, every episode of Raw was, like, must-see. So I came in right at the perfect time. I know uh, Colt Cabana has a theory that you think the best wrestling is like the wrestling from your childhood. And we were talking about it and I was like, I think I have an argument to say that mine was actually the best. I'm a huge Attitude Era fan. So when I say growing up, I feel like I grew up on quite possibly the best wrestling. Was your brother always a big wrestling fan too? Yeah, we started together. Uh, we just became big fan. He was 14, I was eight. We just started watching together. Obviously he's the one who kind of discovered it, but we always, did a lot of stuff together. So we watched it together and it was super cool. And uh, just over time, he got to be an indie wrestler first, obviously. So that's why his career kind of took off far before my did. He's just older, you know, yeah. but yeah, we were always big fans together. He had all the t-shirts, I had all the toys, you know, it was something that we shared, it actually brought us a lot closer. You know, we were just typical brothers, you know, we hung out, but not a lot, but pro wrestling like really brought us closer and closer. And to this day, that's why we're still super tight just because of our love and our careers in wrestling. So he's 14, you're eight. He's like twice the size of you. Is he yeah. just throwing you around all over the oh, place? Yeah. <laughs> we, had, we, had a, we had a trampoline growing up. We were one oh, of those kids. No, yeah. 
which is code oh. for we had a little backyard ring. Oh yeah, yeah. So we had he was giving me power bombs, outsiders, edges, all those kind of stuff. I remember, but I was his practice dummy until he finally got to wrestling school. <laughs> Is it just the two of you or are there other siblings too? Yeah, we have an oldest brother as well too. He's a lawyer. Um, he's a smart one in the family. <laughs> doesn't, get, uh, doesn't get beat up for a living. Uh, but yeah, he, he's the one who actually lives in LA. That's who I was going to go visit soon when I mentioned about coming and doing this show face to face with you. So he's lived out in California most of his life. He moved out there when he was 18 uh, and he works for NBC Universal. He's in entertainment law. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe, you know, now that you're not working with WWE, maybe you can come out here and get some sort of job in entertainment. Yeah, he, he tells me that all the time. He ever As soon as I got signed by WWE, he was super about, like, you got to move to L.A. and you got to get you set up with all this kind of stuff. And, like, I was just so focused on wrestling that I was like, let me tackle this wrestling part first. But also, like, knowing how the WWE is, they're not crazy about guys finding outside projects. And let's say I did find something when I'm brand new, I can't be like, Hey, can I have two weeks off to go like film this thing? You know? So yeah. that was all my only real hesitation about doing it. But you're right. Now that I'm not in WWE, we have been talking about it more about going out to California and just kind of seeing what things we can get set up. Well, you've got an infinite amount of freedom now. You can yeah. wrestle wherever you want. You can act wherever you want. You can do whatever you want. And acting is like the reason I like acting is the same reason why I kind of fell in love with pro wrestling, because I've always loved the pageantry of it. When I became a professional wrestler, I learned to appreciate like the actual technical side of it as well, too, which I do enjoy a lot. But my initial draw and love for pro wrestling was always just like the crazy shenanigans and the storylines and that kind of stuff. And that to me is more tied in with like acting and entertainment. So you're growing up, you love wrestling, you want to be a wrestler when you grow up. Obviously, this sounds like, you know, a bit of a crazy pipe dream. Yeah. When did you realize that it might actually be a possibility that you could do this for a living? <laughs> when my brother got signed, when mm -hmm. me, me and him were about the same size. So, you know, we're both about 5'10", 180, you know, so we knew it's a, for him, especially like I knew it was a long shot because back in his time, it was even more so Land of the Giants, you know, he always talks about, he's like, man, I had to, I debuted alongside like Gene Snitsky and Chris Masters and like all these huge dudes. So he had a real hard chance of getting to WWE and he made it. And I was with him the day, I, I can't remember who called him, it was Jim Ross or whoever was in talent uh, relations at that point. But we were just chilling at my mom's house and he gets a call and he's like, dude, I just got signed. And I like, couldn't believe it, like mind was blown. I was a freshman in high school. So once that happened, I was like, damn, like I already knew I wanted to be a wrestler. Like yeah. I was already getting ready to start training and stuff like that. But to actually see someone in my family make it to WWE, I was like, oh shit, this is really a possibility. Well, I think that's such an important thing to be able to follow in the footsteps of somebody. It doesn't necessarily yeah. need to be a family member, but to be able to look at someone who's accomplishing the thing that you want to do and go, oh, well, if that person can do it and they're a little bit further ahead, maybe a little bit older, maybe a little bit more experienced, mm -hmm. I can just take where I'm at now in their journey and just reverse engineer it back to there. Right. Yeah. And I always tell people I got so lucky that I had a brother who was in the WWE who could give me good advice to kind yeah. of get me ready for the WWE and just kind of because I always tell people the information that he was getting, the advice he was getting, it was from guys like Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit and The Undertaker and Chris Jericho and Shawn Michaels. Like when he would tell me some advice, he'd be like, oh, 
this was something Shawn Michaels told me. So when he tells me that, I go, well, it's obviously correct information. It's correct advice. It's not just older brother telling little brother what to do. All of his sources were some of the top guys, Hall of Famers, legends of this business. When was the first time you got to visit Sean at work? Well, he's probably he's not Sean to you, but Sean yeah, yeah. to Hari, you know. Uh, yeah. Um, so I actually never went backstage while he really? was yeah while he was working there. Um, but he did get, and every show that came to town, he got me tickets to. Uh, the one thing he did get me into was the WrestleMania 22 after party in Chicago. So I got to go there and just meet a bunch of people and stuff like that. That was the only real time. Uh, I got to like see everybody. But even then he was kind of like, he was still super young at the time. You know, he was like 22 years old, 23. So he was very like, don't embarrass me. Like, don't be a mark. Don't be super crazy. Don't be asking for pictures and all that kind of stuff. And I knew right away, like even at, well, I think I was like 16. I even knew like play it cool. Like I already knew like, I'm not going to take pictures. Like I just want to meet some people, just say hi. And it was cool enough that he did introduce me to damn near everybody. And some guys, you know, didn't want to really be bothered. They just said hi. But then some guys like the undertaker, when my brother was like, Hey, this is my younger brother, Aria. He wants to start wrestling. Undertaker was like, Oh, that's cool. And like, talk to me for like five, 10 minutes. So it was a really unique experience to kind of see all these guys, but they had just performed at WrestleMania. So a lot of them were kind of letting loose, getting drunk and they're with family and friends. So you don't want to bug people too much. Yeah. So what age were you when you enrolled in wrestling school? It was summer going into my senior year. So I was 17. Senior year of high school. Yeah, yeah. If so you my, were at my high school, you would have been the coolest person in the entire school. This guy's already going to wrestling school. Yeah. So funny, like funny enough, I would say like freshman, sophomore, junior year, like I didn't really play any sports, and that's kind of how you are cool in high school if you're a quarterback of football team or whatever. Yeah. I never did any of that shit. But once I started pro wrestling, and I want to say September was my first match. So from September on, so most of the school year, I did kind of get known as like, oh, he's the pro wrestler. And that's when like my popularity went up a little bit. And I went from like, oh, he's just the wrestling guy who wears wrestling T-shirts to school. to like now he's actually a pro wrestler and people are asking me they want to like come to my shows and stuff like that. So it it was pretty cool once I started. And you went to the same wrestling school as your brother, right? Kind of like his wrestling school eventually shut down. And then, like, the same people there opened another one. That one shut down. Then they opened another one. And uh, that was the one that I trained at. So it was somewhat the same people and kind of the same place. But it was a completely different building. But uh, I only got to do training there for, like, six months or so. Because, again, the school shut down, which kind of sucked. So after that, it was just attending a lot of seminars and getting a lot of experience under my belt that way and just wrestling matches you know another piece of advice my brother told me he's like he's like you can train as long as you want you can train for six months one year two years he's like the only way you're going to get better is by going out there traveling the roads and like doing different shows you know he said if you train in a wrestling camp for one year no matter what your first match is probably going to suck so he's like just get as much experience as you possibly can so that was really what i did i just did a bunch a lot of traveling in the midwest and trying to get on many shows and that was the best learning experience you could possibly have it's the same thing i tell i was telling some of the younger guys at the pc like you can train at the pc couple years if you want to you're probably still not going to be very good when you start so making sure you're getting on those uh those like florida house shows they do those coconut loops you know or uh just getting on nxt tv i said that's when you're i feel like you'll go to that next level you have your training underneath you but once you start doing matches over and over and over that's when you really start seeing your 
level and your abilities start to go up. And is that because you're able to play off of the crowd? Is that a big factor? Yeah, I mean, sometimes you think things look good in wrestling training, and then you go do them in front of a crowd and they shit on it or something. You're like, oh, I guess I won't do that again. But it's just, <laughs> there's just so many different variables that go into a live performance compared to just doing it in like the safety of your wrestling school that, it, like I said, it, it's hard to explain, but it's just it's just different. You know, honestly, this this past year of the pandemic and doing the no crowd wrestling, it felt like wrestling at a wrestling school again. Like, and that, yeah. and maybe at first, when you first start your career, that's fine. But I've been 15 years on the job yeah. now, so it really sucked having to go back to that. Well, the difference is it's like it's like wrestling in a wrestling school, and then you go backstage and check Twitter and go, oh, that was really good, or oh. That wasn't so good. It, it's and that, and that was the hardest thing about it during this pandemic is no feedback, no feedback yeah. from the crowd. You're just wrestling, you're doing spots, you're doing moves, and you're like, I hope this looks as cool as it felt because you don't have a crowd that cheered or booed or whatever. You're trying to get heat because you're a heel, but like there's no one there to boo you. So it's yeah. kind of like, uh, I hope this is translating on TV, like we're, how we're trying to make it happen here. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, I mean, you had these matches early on when you're a kid with your brother, you know, when you guys are like beating each other up in the backyard. How long was it till you actually wrestled a match against him? So we wrestled, we've only wrestled each other one time. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was right, it was actually right when he got released or asked for his release from WWE. So it was like 2008, late 2008. So I was only about a year in. So we had a match against each other in Green Bay. Uh, and that was the only promoter that really wanted to have us wrestle each other. Every other time, we've always been a tag team. We've always, and which I totally understand. Us tagging, I think, is where the money's at anyway. But only one time we wrestled each other. And I was so green at the time that I, I wish we could do it again because I feel like it would be a completely different story because it really just felt like like really wrestling like a, a real veteran of the business. Like I just like, I didn't say anything. I just let him put the whole match together. But I said, now I feel like the roles would almost be reversed. You know, he very proudly always says like, oh, my brother's a better wrestler than I am now. So I'll say if we got to wrestle today, it'd be a much different experience. I feel like growing up where you grew up in Minnesota, you're close to a lot, right? You're close to Chicago and Green mm -hmm. Bay. You're drivable to Ohio and Michigan. Yep. You've got a lot of places where you can really hone your craft. Yeah, totally. And that was what we did. There was a 
there's a veteran wrestler here named uh, the anarchist Eric Cannon, and he was kind of a guy who broke in with my brother as well too. He was someone like he did the very original like TPIs for IWA, so he was wrestling with guys like Daniel Bryan and Cesaro and Chris Hero and all these guys like early early on. So he had a lot of like independent clout, as you can say. Uh, so he took me in a lot of rides with him. Um, we go traveling up and down the Midwest together. Um, and he really helped me out because, like I said, my brother helped me, but he was also like in the WWE and then he was in TNA. Like he was gone a lot. So I would say he helped me. We could talk on the phone and stuff, but actually in person, face to face, Eric Cannon was someone who really taught me a lot about wrestling. It probably doesn't seem like it now, but I maybe while you're living it, it was a long time before you got signed by WWE. And you had you had an audition match, I think it was a 2013 you had an audition match or a dark yeah. match? Yeah, yeah, 2013. I had a dark match against the great Kali. Oh, wow. Yeah, right. I, I, I mean, I'll give you the story real quick. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I was, I, by the time I got signed in 2016, I was 10 years on the yeah, independent which, which is probably the longest 10 years while you're in it and doing it. But trust me, yeah, I was very, uh, I was always very tunnel vision as far as like, I, I like indie wrestling, but I was very like, I need to get to WWE, I need to get to WWE. That was always my like main mission. It wasn't to be the biggest independent star I could possibly be. I just want to get to WWE. But uh, yeah, I had a tryout in 2013. I got like the extra talent. Uh, I had a tryout match with a fellow Minnesota guy. We did a really good job, so they put us in a handicap match against the great Kali. Uh, that went well, too. And uh, from there, I got invited to go do an NXT tryout. And unfortunately, I didn't get picked up then. Um, so I just kind of went back to independent wrestling for a few years until the CWC happened. But you probably feel like you're so close. You're there. Oh, yeah. Feeling it. You're eating the catering. You know, you're in the same halls as all these people backstage with them. You feel like you're so close, and then maybe it's like, feels like it's ripped away. I was I was very confident at my NXT tryout that just because like I know what they were looking for and I know I did everything right. I wrestled my match good. I'd cut a good promo. I can speak another language. You know, I was in great shape at the time. Uh, I knew I did a good job. But when they sent me a very generic email, just like oh, we have nothing for you right now, I was kind of like, man, what the fuck? I was like, really? I was like, I could have sworn I crushed that. Um, and luckily that's why I stayed on their list. You know, they had nothing for me at that time, but then like a year and a half later, uh, I believe it was triple H came up with the CWC concept and I was initially contacted for that. So it, it made me feel a little bit better. Cause I said, I knew I did a good job. I was kind of surprised I didn't get signed. Um, but then when that happened, I said, okay, so maybe it really was one of those things like, Hey, not right at this specific moment, but maybe a future project. Did part of you want to take the momentum that you had and reach out to impact or ring of honor? Not really, because I mean, to me, it was just a tryout, you know, it wasn't like anything, but I'm saying from that, I did get eventually booked with ring of honor, but it wasn't because I had a WWE tryout. When I said earlier, like I never wanted to be like a huge indie star, I just wanted to be a WWE. Well, I got the no from WWE. So I said, well, where else can I wrestle yeah. as a career, you know? And that and Ring of Honor is on the first place that popped in my head. And uh, I went and did like a tryout camp for them as well too. And they said I did a great job and they gave me dates like immediately after the camp. So I don't know if 
me doing some Ring of Honor stuff made them go like, oh shit, you know, maybe he does have a little bit of credibility. We should use him or what. But I knew after I got the no from WWE, I was like, I'm not going to let this deter me, you know. Never once was I like, well, this is it. I'm going to quit. I was like, let me really get back to it and see what else I can make happen. And maybe we'll revisit WWE some other day. If Arya, you were so tunnel vision focused on WWE and you were there, you did it, you lived it. And now you're not there. What is the focus now? So I tell a lot of people, I said, one thing that I can take like a nice, like breath of fresh air is that like, I've done it. That thing that used to keep me up at night when I was an indie wrestler and just thinking about over and over, what do I have to do to make it? What like, I did it. I made it. I wrestled on a pay-per-view. I wrestled on NXT. I wrestled on Monday Night Raw. I got to have conversation with Vince McMahon and Triple H. Like I did all these things and make great money while doing it. I did all these things that I got to that I always wanted to do. So a small part of me gets to be like, ah, okay. Like you can like close the or turn to the next chapter and go to the other part of your wrestling career. And now. Luckily, this is a great time because places like AEW and New Japan and Impact and MLW, NWA, like all these places are popping off. GCW, uh, all these places are like popping off. There's so many places to wrestle now that I can say like, cool, I did the WWE thing. I know what that's all about. I know what it's like to wrestle through Vince. I know what it's like to wrestle on Monday Night Raw. Now let's go explore the other places and see what else we can do. Because I've always respected the guys like uh, Chris Jericho and stuff who've wrestled everywhere. You know, so part of me says, I kind of want to do that. That too. But if we look at this image behind you, you never had that moment. You never had that WrestleMania moment walking out to that crowd. Is that something that you still want? Yeah, of course. Like, there's that, don't get me wrong, there's definitely things in WWE I didn't accomplish that I wish I could have accomplished. But I'm also a little bit realistic about it that I said I had a five year run, which I was more did more than I thought I would do at five foot 10, 180 pounds, you know, like majority of my life was thinking like, how can I make it to the WWE at this size? You know, this is going to be a, it's going to be a real uphill battle. And it was, but the fact that I made it, it's something I can really like rest my hat on be like, I did that, you know, a lot, a lot of wrestlers out there, a lot of talented wrestlers out there didn't even get to do a fraction of the things I've gotten to do. So sometimes you just have to be grateful for what you've gotten and kind of understand. Cause look, I'll be honest. There was a point in my indie career where I was like, Oh, if I could just be like, a jobber in NXT. I'd be so happy if that's all I could do. Even if I never win a match, if I just wrestled there for one year, I'd be so happy. And like, it went above and beyond all those type of things. So I can't sit here and kind of dwell because I feel like that's what makes people like really bitter on the inside or depressed or something. Like you got to look back on those times. It is great times, man. Like I was in my twenties, early thirties, traveling the country, traveling the world, wrestling for the WWE. Like it doesn't get much better than that. Yeah. There's a lot of guys who are 5'10", but maybe have a little bit more weight to them that have been incredibly successful. You know, Chris Jericho, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, Kurt Angle, just off the top of my head. Did you ever think in your career, maybe I should put on some size, be 210, 220? Yeah, I mean, on the indies, I tried that. Like when I was in college and stuff, I was eating a ton. I think the heaviest I ever got up to was like 206, but it was- 206 live. (laughs) Yeah, right, yeah, one pound over. Um, but I was kind of soft. Like when I look back on those, like at the time I was like, you know, 21 in college, I was like, Oh, I'm huge. But I look back on those pictures. I was very soft looking and like, full of pizza. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. A lot of pizza and beer. Um, and I look back on that. I said, even though I was bigger, it wasn't a very like good TV body. So that's how when I got to WWE, I try to like lean out as much as possible because also the business has changed. Like 
Mm-hmm. At that time, I was like, oh, am I going to make it at five foot ten? Had I known that NXT and 205 and all these places were going to pop up where the average size is about five foot ten, I wouldn't have stressed about it too much. And and I don't anymore. You know, you look at some of the top guys in other places, like they're not that big. WWE is really the only place that puts like this emphasis on size over talent. Like there's so yeah. many talented guys in WWE, like a Chad Gable, for example, who just doesn't seem to get his fair shake just because he's a little bit smaller. So I feel like the nice thing about all these other companies is your talent speaks far more than your just what, how big you are, how tall you are. Some of these photos you've been posting on Instagram lately, I mean, you're jacked. Like you're no, thank you. yeah. popping out, yeah. my goodness. I mean, that's the thing I would say like, don't get me wrong. Every wrestler should be in good shape, but you should be in as good a shape as you can be, you know, for your genetics. For you your know? body type, yeah. Yeah, I think, like, I, I always give credit to Conor McGregor. I said he's someone who I think really made people see, oh, if you're 5'10", under 200 pounds, you can still be a badass fighter because he looks the part, you know? So I always, that would be my advice to, like, other guys my size. I'm like, just get in the best shape you possibly can get into, like, genetically, you know? If you want to do, like, steroids and stuff, whatever, that's your call. But just try to get in the best shape you can possibly for your, like, size and your genetics. And I think that's at least the least you can ask, you know? You've also been posting these amazing Taekwondo videos on your social media. That yeah. needs to be worked into what you do, I think, more often. You know, everybody says that. My brother always says that too. He's like, you gotta do like more karate stuff. And Those I don't head know. Kicks, my God. Yeah, so I'm I'm a second degree black belt. I got it my sophomore year. Of everybody high should know this. Come on. <laughs> I know. Uh, I need to get some kick pads and start kicking the shit out of people or something. Yes. Uh, I just my thing was I was just I try to be like the wrestlers who I watched, you know, and Stone Cold, The Rock, Triple H, Undertaker, Randy Orton, all these Everybody guys. Everybody you like, just listed is like six foot three and I know, 230 right? pounds. <laughs> Never clicked in my head that maybe that's why that shit works. But I was just such like a classic pro wrestling fan that I just want, that's what I always wanted to be. But hey, man, I, I was saying in uh, one of my last interviews, like they asked me, like, are you going to do this Davari De Niro thing uh, in the next place you go? I said, I don't know. I said, I think this might be a great time. It's always a good time to evolve. You know, when you have these turning points in your careers, like I don't think you should always just do the same shit because I don't want anyone to just be like, oh, he's just doing his WWE thing. Like I'm taking this as a opportunity to maybe change up my look, change up my gear, change up my attitude. And who knows, maybe introduce more of my martial arts into my wrestling. There, I think when you first debuted in WWE, there were some people who were a little bit confused because obviously your brother had the same last name. They're going... Are they related? Are they the same person? What's going on here? Was there ever talk of you having a different name? No, luckily for me, uh, everyone in the CWC, and I don't know if this was Triple H's call or what, but they wanted everyone to have their names because I think they wanted to just like capitalize on buzz. Like they said, this was the most, you know, the free agents, the best free agents in the world and stuff like that. So for some reason, they just kept everyone. The only people who had to like, have their gimmick names or guys who had gimmick names on the indies, you know, Mustafa Ali, Lindsay Dorado. It's not the real name. So they were the guys who WWE like took their wrestling name, but everybody else, Drew Gulak, Tony Nese, myself, like it's our shoot names. Do you think it helped you because the crowd was already familiar with the Davari name? Or do you think it kind of made things difficult because now you had to fill the shoes of your older brother? Yeah, I went back and forth about that. Um, I do think on one hand, again, I don't want people to be like, oh, he's just like his brother. Or he's just a copy of his brother or, or 
you know, unfortunately for me, I would admit that my brother was in the wrestling business when it was even hotter, you know, so he had a lot more eyes on his career back in like 2004. So some people were, eh, you know, cheap ripoff or whatever. But I was also very proud of the fact, like I said, like making it to the WWE at my size. And on top of that, I'm getting to keep my name, you know, like this is me. This is all me that's being presented on the WWE. So a small part of me was actually kind of happy about that. So you're going to keep Aria Davari as you move forward? Oh yeah. I mean, it is <laughs> they, your name. Yeah. So they sent me, they sent me like a termination letter that had like a bunch of like legal mumbo jumbo and you know stuff you use and blah blah and it said in parentheses Aria Davari. So I had to call the lawyer just to like double check and I was like, you guys know that like you know that's my real name right? Like all my platforms indies like they're all gonna say Aria Davari. Like yeah we know they said it was just like a formality letter and they just kind of put that stuff in there. But I want to make sure I was like, are you guys stealing my name from me? My my real name? But uh, no, the lawyer, we lawyer trademarked your actual name. Sorry yeah. man. The lawyer actually kind of like laughed on the phone. He was like, no dude. He's like it's your real name. And I was like, ah, yeah, good point. I just want to double check. I don't know. There's some crazy rules and laws and shit like that. I don't want to make sure I got screwed over or something by giving my name away. I mean, you mentioned that there's a lot of options now. Wrestling is hot. I mean, I, I would argue it's the best time to be a wrestling fan and subsequently the best time to also be a wrestler. So as your 90 days come up, where do you want to pop up? I just want to wrestle. As, I want a busy schedule. That's the only thing I want. Because right now, like, sitting at home with these 90 days and not too long ago we were dealing with a pandemic like that shit sucked i did not like sitting at home the the pandemic was a little bit different because obviously like nobody could really do anything but right now seeing all like the crowds have now just come back so wrestling's super hot and i'm sitting at home not doing anything like it's driving me fucking crazy so i really want to just be as busy 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 as possible so it doesn't matter where it is if it's at aew impact new japan back to the indies like i just want to wrestle the best guys possible and just keep a very busy schedule like this is my life now this is all i care about this is all i want to do so wherever it can keep my schedule busy and wrestling the best matches that's all that matters to me do you have some indie dates lined up right now yeah i've started to get them slowly lined up um I haven't been a lot of promoters that I've been talking to still don't have like a lot of like October, November, December dates. Like they're still figuring out. Everything's July. still kind of up in the air with this. It is. So every, a few promoters, promotions I reached out to were just kind of like, oh, we haven't hammered down because my 90 days is up September 23rd. So basically October. So a lot of promotions I've talked to have kind of like, oh, we haven't got to our October dates yet. But when we do, you know, we'll give you a call and stuff like that. So I've been lining up more like signings and um, I do have like a few promotions that do like show that have like annual shows they do in like November and December. Got those locked down, but a Blizzard lot of promotions. Brawl, that's what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, Blizzard Brawl is a lot of them. Um, and then there is one I'm doing. Uh, it's called Lucha Libre and Laughs out in Denver. That's uh, that's the day before Thanksgiving, so that's like on a Wednesday. So, but you're right. You you hit the nail on the head is that a lot of places are still figuring their shit out you know there's not even a lot of promotions in minnesota that are up and running like full time yet like minnesota had a hotbed of independence and right now they're all just like slowly coming back trying to basically find venues that will have them 
Dave here is a very good friend of mine. That's why I, I dropped yeah. in Blizzard Brawl there. No, I love Dave Hero. Uh, I was I was uh, backstage hanging out at Impact with my brother because he was finishing up his uh, final dates there. And uh, Cal was there, his son, who, like, I haven't seen him in, like, five, six years. And he's like this big jack 19-year-old now. And I was like, oh, shit. I was like, you're doing great, man. I see him on – I saw him on, like, Dark. And then he's doing uh, Dark matches at Impact and stuff like that. So it was cool to see him. Him and – he's always been a really good kid. And Dave Hero is always someone who treated me very well. Yeah, Cal is just crushing it. And he has that laser focus, that tunnel vision that you talked about. Like for him, especially considering who his father is, but for him, it's it's wrestling or nothing. Yeah, right, yeah. No, he's a, I think he has a bright future. And to be 19 years old and he's already has like TV experience and stuff like that, like, man, sky's the limit for him. Well, it's not unlike your story. You know, it's not yeah, unlike right. your story where he has someone who's able to go, yeah, do this, don't do this. Right. That and just having lots of connections. Like you said, his dad booked a lot of wrestlers, you know, on his shows in the last 10, 15 years. So if anyone's going to, you know, put in a good word for Cal, it's going to be all these guys at all these different promotions. So as we sit here now, it's July. You've got a little less than two months before you can start showing up at different places. What do you do for the next 55 days? <laughs> get in the best shape I possibly can. I, I do. I really enjoy training. I really do enjoy like lifting weights. And it actually would kind of like piss me off when I would go wrestle a match and I'd come home and like my lower back or my neck or my shoulder was kind of bugging me. So I'd go to the gym and I could only lift at like, you know, 60, 70% because something was nagging me. Like I haven't woke up sore from wrestling in like 20, 30 days now. And I have another 50 days. I'm like, this feels great. Like nothing hurts. My neck feels great. My back feels great. So I've just been going to the gym and having these long two, three hour workouts, tons of cardio, you know? So that's been kind of fun. And just, like I said, just taking a little break. The only yeah. time you get off really in the wrestling business is when you get hurt. Other, the pandemic was the first like long break I had in wrestling. And then this is the second one. And other than that, it's just been like nursing injuries. You know, yeah. when I hurt my neck, I got like three months off, but like, you don't count that as like time. I wasn't enjoying my time off. Like I was at home hurting. I was like, this sucks. But right now having time off and my body feels good and just being able to go to the gym and work out every day. And we have a couple of vacations coming up. So right now it's just kind of reset, recharge. Cause I know once September 23rd comes, it's right back to it. Did you ever feel like you had an opportunity in WWE where you were so, so close, you were teetering on like whatever was going to be on that next level for you. And it just, didn't happen for whatever reason. Yeah, honestly, right before we got released, me and Tony Nese were doing a lot of tag stuff together. You know, me and him tagged on and off like since the beginning of 205. Uh, but the last like four or five months of TVs we did, they were tagging, having us tag pretty regularly. They're having us do promos together. And uh, everyone in the office, you know, Shawn Michaels, Bloom, stuff like that, they would always be telling us, like, you guys are killing it as a tag team. You know, you guys are doing a great job. You look good. You know, we're having good matches. A lot of the boys were coming up to us telling us, oh, you guys look good as a team and stuff like that. So we were definitely thinking this was what's going to hopefully take us to the next level. We thought either be a tag team on NXT. Uh, me and him discussed, like, hey, should we go talk to Vince and see if he'll bring us to Raw or SmackDown? Um, I was always told the unfortunate thing is that maybe maybe it's Vince or WWE in general isn't really, like, big in the tag team division. Um, so that was the only, like, hurdle we kind of had to climb just to get them to pay attention to tag stuff. But I really thought that was going to take us to the next level. And unfortunately, we got released, which was 
a little bit surprising because, like I said, we were wrestling every. If we weren't doing singles every single week, we were doing tags every single week, and I really think we were crushing it. But over the last year, so many of your friends, so many of your colleagues, were unfortunately released. Mm-hmm. Every time that happened, were you like, "Oh my God!" Like I'm, I'm safe. I can't believe that I'm still here. And then one day you do get that call. Yeah. So I thought, I mean, my own brother, my own brother was part of the COVID releases just recently. He got brought back to WWE, which I was very, very happy for. And I was very upset when he got released uh, during COVID. After the COVID releases happened, I was kind of like, okay, that sucks. But, you know, I survived. So I think I'll be good. And then there's been like three waves of firings uh, in 2021. And that first wave that happened when Samoa Joe got let go, uh, I think the Iconics were on WrestleMania, yeah. and then they got let go. Braun Strowman. And then when the Braun Strowman won, that's when the whole roster, I think from top to bottom, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, everybody was like, oh, shit. Like, if they're letting guys like Braun and Samoa Joe go, it could be anybody. So I would say for the last four or five months, I wasn't expecting it because, like I said, I was wrestling all the time. But a small part of me said, like, if it's going to happen, it might be around this time. And then, unfortunately, it did. Are you hopeful that once things finally do get back to whatever normal is going to be, are you hopeful that maybe you can go back? I think so. I've, uh, I kind of have like this five-year plan in my head because I'm 32 now. I said, if I don't go back to WWE in the next five years, then maybe that door is closed. But I still feel young. I still feel good. You know, and you just see so many guys like uh, I think Drew McIntyre and Jinder are great examples. Obviously, they're very large men, uh, you know, so they have that advantage. But seeing them like leave WWE and like, let's be honest, they were kind of at the bottom of the barrel when they left WWE and to go out there, get in great shape, reinvent themselves and then come back and have the success that they've had. Like, it's awesome to see, you know, Shelton Benjamin, you know, the Hardy boys, like obviously these are all guys who are big stars, but they were guys who I thought when they left WWE, I was like, "Ah, that's probably it for them, you know, because they've done everything they can do. They're a little bit older now probably not going to come back and now to see they've come back and they've all done you know extraordinary work i don't think the door for wwe is completely closed it might just be uh right now they're just kind of reshuffling things and figuring things out like the whole world is doing right now how much pressure do you feel or did you feel to lean into your cultural heritage at first, I felt it more because I, it's WWE. They love people from different countries. They've said that to, they said that to me on my trial. They said we love the fact that you're Iranian and can speak another language, so it makes you kind of be like, okay, you like, like I'm actually from Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually from Minneapolis. No, they. I mean, they knew all that shit, but yeah. they knew that I spoke another language. And you know, at first, I was kind of about it, but then some people's like responses on Twitter, like, Ugh, like another like foreign guy, like great, like so I was like, like oh, you know, I think that era of wrestling is definitely ending. And it was it was on me. Like, I'm the one who took it to Vince McMahon and said, like, hey, I don't want to do this chic thing anymore. Can I switch to this Davari De Niro character? And he was all about it. Yeah, well, I mean, you speak perfect English. Like, it makes yeah. sense that you were born and raised in America. Yeah. It makes sense that maybe you could just be an American who happens to look the way that you look. And that was kind of, that was so... I didn't want to completely like abandon the fact that I'm Middle Eastern and that I'm Persian. So the Davari De Niro character was actually based on this TV show called Shaws of Sunset, which is yeah. like, and I mean, you you know, people call uh, 
LA, they call it Tarantulas or something like that. You know, there's a lot of uh, Iranian and Persian people in LA. So I said, hey, if you want me to represent, like, you want me to be a character, like, I got a way better character for you guys. And there's these, all these Persian guys out in LA who are driving these, like, white BMWs and gold chains and all that kind of stuff. And I said, and I find it, you know, it's, it's, I don't think it's as offensive. You know, it's a little bit more funny, a little bit more tongue in cheek. So that was why I wanted to switch to that character. And on top of that, like I said, a lot of Persian people like that, they may be born in California or something like that. They're born in America. I was born in Minnesota, so we can we don't have to like insult the crowd's intelligence by saying from Tehran, Iran, and then I go on my Wikipedia and it says from Plymouth, Minnesota. <laughs> so I was like, you know, you can stop announcing me from Iran and shit like that. So that was kind of why we switched to the Davari De Niro character, because I just didn't want to continue doing like a typical foreign heel. I had Mohammed Hassan on the show. Yeah. Like at the end of last year. And he doesn't do a lot of interviews at all. So it was like mm -hmm. such an honor to have him on the show. But as I was diving into the research, I realized and watching the old promos, what he was saying and what Sean Devaria was saying at the time was like completely accurate. And it was so yeah. funny. All they were doing was speaking the truth. Like yeah. you're, you're stereotyping me because of the way I look. I'm American. <laughs> Yeah, right. No, I, people joke about that when they look back on it now. They say, oh, these guys should have been baby faces, you know. Seriously. Uh, and I, I feel like uh, Mustafa Ali has done a great job of kind of, he brought that up on Twitter a lot, just kind of saying, like, when people would say, you know, mean or racist things to him, he'd say, like, hey, I'm an American too. I was born here just because I'm <laughs> proud of my heritage doesn't mean you guys need to, like, rain down hell on me and stuff like that. So it's just things like that, you know. And, uh, I always had my brother Muhammad Hassan in my head when I was doing like the Sheik stuff and just seeing how that turned out. I knew right away when I got to WWE, like, I'll do the Sheik thing. This is what, you know, this is what they saw when they signed me. So maybe this is what they want. But I knew right from the get go, I said, sooner or later, I'm going to get rid of all this stuff and kind of distance myself from that and try to do something completely different because I wanted longevity. And unfortunately, sometimes I feel like a, a over the top gimmick or maybe even like a foreign gimmick might have like a shelf life on it. So I knew being myself was going to last a lot longer than being like a foreign heel. It's Farsi that you speak? Yep. Farsi is the language of Iran. What was the first language that you learned? Uh, English. So I, I'm the youngest. Um, so when my oldest brother was born, they were only speaking Farsi in the house because my parents were still getting acclimated to America. You know, they moved sure. here in the late 70s. And then Sean was born. Um, and then by the I time like that you I, call him Sean, I just do it because every, that's what everyone knows him as. His real name is Dara, everybody. But uh, I just call him Sean because that's what everyone knows him as. Yeah. Uh, but by the time I was born, both of my brothers were already in school and my parents were actually very good about saying, like, we don't want you guys to fall behind in your education or anything like that because you're not you can't speak English well and we can't speak English well. So my parents practiced their own English with my brother. So by the time I was old enough to like talk and everything, it was a pretty English speaking household. And they always said, like, we just want we just wanted you guys to do well in school. We didn't want you to fall behind because there's some sort of language barrier. So they really practiced their English. And then I basically grew up in an English speaking household. But just being around my parents and all my cousins and aunts and uncles who constantly spoke Farsi when they were together, that's just how I kind of learned it. I can understand I can understand it a lot better than I can speak it. I'll say it that way. Who would have thought that years later, Farsi would be what got Sean Devari over? Yeah, it really was. It was our both of our tickets into the WWE. <laughs> yeah, that's so crazy that like it's this, I don't know, this, this, this skill that you didn't even know would be so helpful for you. Yeah, no, great. I mean, I did a lot of, like I leaned into it more on the indies, but 
the indies are a little bit more free reign. You can have more fun, you know. There was a lot of shows on the indies where like I was doing like the sheet character doing the foreign heel, but it was a little tongue in cheek and like I would say things like in English and stuff like that or make the crowd laugh. Know that this is just like it's just like a gimmick that I'm doing or you know how many times can I be announced to the ring from Tehran, Iran, and I wrestle every show in Minnesota? Like damn, this guy flies here every single week, you know? So it, it was a little bit like tongue in cheek on the Indies. I'm like, yeah, evil foreigner. <laughs> yeah, wasn't your finisher on the Indies the magic carpet ride? <laughs> magic carpet ride, yeah. Uh, my brother did it once as a goof, like just to kind of pop the crowd and like they really liked it so when he went to wwe i was like do you mind if i start doing it? he's like yeah go for it and it always got a great reaction from the crowd but funny enough when i i did it in my tryout match at at nxt like i did it uh on the road uh when i did like tryout stuff like on the road and it popped all the boys who were watching and stuff like that so i was like well shit i'm gonna keep doing it it makes you stand out right yeah. when i did it i did it in my tryout match and bill demont was the the head coach at the time of NXT. As soon as I hit the magic carpet ride, which is like a top rope splash holding a carpet, uh, I hear I hear the bell ring, and I was like, "Oh shit, what happened?" And on the microphone, there's like a big microphone in front of everybody. He goes, "We don't do that indie bullshit here." Next, and I was kind of like, "Ooh, sorry." So ever since then, I continued doing it on the indies, but once I got to WWE, like that memory is so burned in my head that I never even bothered asking if I could do it or something like that. Cause he just made me feel like I was kind of like, Oh, is this one of those things that is too silly for the WWE? But then a few months later, Jack Gallagher is jumping on me, like holding an umbrella. So I was like, yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> <You know? laughs> wow. Well, I mean, this is one of thousands of stories about Bill DeMott though. Yeah. Right. No. And then, yeah, like a few months later he got fired. So yeah. that was another thing that when I didn't get picked up, I was like, nah, it's all his fault. You know, it wasn't really, but... Well, now we, in two months, we can see the Magic Carpet ride again. Yeah, right, yeah. On the indies, I'm definitely bringing it back. So yeah. I was like, it was something unique that made you stand out. You know, if I have a... I have a hard name to remember, I guess, for some people. So people would always be like, ah, the Magic Carpet guy. Like, hey, that's me. As long as you remember something. <laughs> that's. I mean, that's the biggest thing. It's just get over. Whatever it is yeah. that it takes, get over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, well, I'm excited to see what's next for you. No, I'm excited too, man. Like I said, the the business is it's popping right now, man. Like yeah. all these promotions are drawing like record crowds. I mean, when I was when I was an indie wrestler, like my last indie show was like in 2016, and I think even from then till now, the indies have gone up more so. But like, I I the biggest crowds I used to wrestle in front of was like two or three hundred people, occasionally yeah. a thousand people. But I go on Twitter, Instagram, and all these. Indie shows I see, they're drawing 500, 600, 800,000, 2,000 people. I said, damn, like, once you get to, like, four or 500 people in a crowd, like, it's great. Like, that's when the crowd can be super loud and have you yeah. can have a good show and all that kind of stuff. So I see that, like, that's kind of the norm at a lot of these places now. So I'm really excited to go meet a bunch of new fans. That was another thing that I really missed was, like, the interactions with fans. Like, there's no, like, gimmick table. There's no gimmick table at the WWE where you go, like, meet these fans and stuff like that. So I'm really excited to kind of meet a whole bunch of fans that I haven't got to meet in the last, you know, five years I was in WWE. Yeah, it's going to be exciting to see what you can do with no restrictions at all. That's one thing I'm very excited for. No more, no more PG restrictions. <laughs> I end every interview with the same question, so I will ask this of you because I start and every day, start and end every day with gratitude. So, uh, what are three things in your life that you're grateful for right now? Well, from the from the get go, I'll say my health. I'm very grateful for my health because 
we know how this business is. We know what this business can do to people, whether it's injuries or drug abuse, alcohol abuse, just the grind of being on the road. I'm happy that I'm healthy. You know, I have my sanity and all that kind of stuff. So that's one thing I'm very grateful for. Um, the second would be my family. I'm very grateful for my family. They've always been very supportive of what I do. Um, they've always been there for me. You know, any even when I got released, you know, they were calling me nonstop just to make sure I was okay. And I was trying to tell them, oh, you guys, I'm fine. You know, everything's good. It's just, it is what it is. This happens to tons of wrestlers, you know, so I'm very grateful for my family. And then lastly, I know this might sound cheesy, but I am grateful for my time in WWE. Like, like I said, I used to think about that all the time from 12 years old up until the day I got signed. All I think about is being in the WWE. I had I'd have a hard time focusing in college, even after college when I was working like shoot jobs. I'd have a hard time focusing on that because I always just felt like this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be wrestling in the WWE. And it was hard for me to like focus on anything else, you know, relationships, friendships, all that kind of stuff. I'm now very grateful that I had my time in WWE so I can finally focus on other aspects of my life that may have got kind of put to the side in the last 30 years. So, yeah. Well, where can everyone find you online? Uh, my Twitter and Instagram are at Aria Davari. Um, I know it's hard real to spell, name, by the way. Yeah, real name, shoot name. <laughs> um, yeah, just Instagram and Twitter. I'll be updating it as time goes on. Like, I, I do have these things of like, man, I really need to be like getting to work and doing all this kind of stuff. But I'm really enjoying this time off a little bit. You know, I, I have about another month where I want to relax. But then I, like I said, I, ju I just know everything's going to go back to normal soon. Yeah. I'm going to be on the road a bunch and all that kind of stuff. So I'm just enjoying my time off, but just keep an eye on my Instagram, keep an eye on my Twitter. That's where I update most of my stuff. I've spent this last interview or this whole interview thinking we could probably be brothers. We have all the same like features. We do, right? Nice facial hair. You have uh, you have better hair than I do though. That's the only thing. And you're I, just wearing a hat. That's the only yeah, difference. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no, we got it. Do you, are you, what's your ethnicity? Do you have anything? My in mom was born in Greece. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. My mom is Macedonian. Okay. Born in Greece, came over to Canada when she was like Four. So I'm Canadian. Okay. Okay. My dad's side of the family, many, many, many generations ago, Dutch. Dutch, okay. So that's why my last name I've been, is Van Vliet. I've been mistaken for Greek before, like Greek. I'm sure you've been mistaken for it all. Greek, Italian. Italian Mexican, all of them. Yes, yeah. me too. Yeah, when yeah. I lived in Miami, people would speak to me in Spanish first. That happened to me when I lived in Orlando. I'd go to the bank yeah. and they just start talking to me in Spanish. And I was like, ah, like, I don't I speak so Spanish. sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't like, know. Yeah, right. We can talk Farsi if you want, but yeah, well, <laughs> about I it. will nod my head if you want to do that. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you again, Arya. No, man, I appreciate you having me on here. Like I said, I'm excited to do these interviews and stuff. So maybe in the next few months, once I start getting some more things cooking and get some more stuff to promote, we can do this again. I wanted to do it in person. And I'm so sorry that when you're going to be in LA, I'm actually going to finally be back in Canada visiting my family. No, I'm happy. Is this the, like the whole pandemic and stuff? You haven't been to Canada? I saw my sister and you know their family, my niece and nephews and her yeah. husband. But I haven't seen my parents since yeah. December of 2019. Wow. Yeah. Trust me. That's far more important than doing a we'll we'll get this interview done at some I other time. I appreciate that. Sure. Thank oh, you. Of course. Yeah, of course. It's been 18 months. That's a, 19 that's a long months time. of not seeing my parents. 
I'm very, I'm very fortunate that I was able to, like my mom lives in California too. So I was very fortunate. I did get to see her twice during the pandemic. I just, I just kind of took the risk and I was like, I guess I'll, I mean, I was already flying to Orlando every week. So I was like, I have a semi level of comfort, but obviously it's much harder for you because I assume just getting into Canada was the issue, right? It was, you had to, first it was a two week quarantine. Right. Then they changed it to a government, like a quarantine where you had to stay in like a government approved hotel at like some ridiculous price. Yeah. So now it's, uh, if you're vaccinated, you have to show that you've had a negative COVID test on the way in and then on the way back here. Okay. But it, well, hey. it just opened up recently. Okay. Well, hey, that's good. The fact that you get to see your parents, that's all that matters. Yeah. But I got to see you doing this and I yeah. appreciate coming to know. <laughs> Awesome. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I really do appreciate it. I like it's being able to pleasure. finally tell my story to everybody. No, it's my pleasure. Thanks for coming on. No problem. There we go, my friends. Thank you to Aria for joining us for this. Of course, thank you to you for choosing us in a sea of podcasts. And the goal every episode is to learn something new. So I hope that you were able to learn something or many things from this conversation. Share it with a friend, take a screenshot, tag us on social media. Let us know what stood out the most for you. Tag Aria, he's at Aria Davari on Instagram tag and Twitter. And tag me, mine's just at Chris Van Fleet. And I'll leave you with something to ponder for the rest of your day or night or week or month, perhaps even year. I am not a product of my circumstances. I'm a product of my decisions. That's from Stephen Covey. Great words. Be great. Be grateful. We'll see you on the next one for some more insight.